Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today I have a return guest. I have Dr. Sam Sugar back on the show. He was last on here, season three, episodes 33 and 39. We talked about the equity court meat grinder. And now we're going to talk about the ripple effects of guardianship and what that entails for families and wards. So I welcome you to the show, Dr. Sam Sugar. How are you? Thank you. Good morning. I'm well. I hope everyone listening is well as, as, is well as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you again. It's been very interesting to mull over uh, comments that that I've received and that you've received and I'm hoping that today we can zoom out a little bit on the issue of guardianship abuse and the effects it has downstream from the principal uh, individual who's being abused namely the ward and I think we've documented more than adequately how the ward is, uh, the so-called ward is abused both emotionally, physically, spiritually, and of course, financially, which is what this is really all about. But I thought today we might zoom out a little bit and try to paint a picture with broad strokes about the impact of this system, I'll be generous and kind and call it a system rather than a racket today, Mm -hmm. Um, and and try to figure out what it is about this system that makes it so incomprehensibly evil and how it causes such enormous and I can't say it strongly enough, enormous damage to generations of individuals who have anything to do with abusive guardianships. I need to state at the outset, as I typically do in these conversations, that not all guardianships are terrible, not all. In fact, it's probably a a relatively small percentage of these guardianships that go off the rails. Not not to say that guardianships are wonderful, but there are situations in American life in the 22nd, 21st century that require assistance from the government. And when that assistance is honest and helpful, it should be appreciated and the individuals who are involved in these beneficial guardianships should be praised because guardianship should be an act of kindness, an act of helpfulness and something that is praiseworthy. If all guardianships were run in that fashion, you and I wouldn't be talking about it. Mm-mm. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So having made that disclaimer, I think we can transition into a broader discussion about how guardianships do so much harm to so many people and not just financial harm. I, I'm talking actually more about the spiritual harm that is done to people in this country when they are deceived, when they are lied to by politicians and other people who have agendas for their own welfare that do not hesitate to prey on people's Uh, belief systems uh, or their naivete. Um, There was, uh, just as an aside, I just read an incredible article um, in Vanity Fair, I don't remember the reporter's name, talking about the origins of the Wuhan virus. Hmm. You know, this is something that's been thrown around now for nearly three years. Where did this virus come from? And the politicians and 
the uh, NIH people have said from the beginning, this wasn't our fault. It didn't come from a lab. It came from bats and civets. And everybody with a little ounce of intelligence in their brain said, really? That's how this worldwide epidemic started. And in this article, they lay out an exquisite path of evidence to show rather conclusively that it came from a leak in the Wuhan virology lab. Mm-hmm. And yet the politicians and the scientists, all of whom work on power structures, in in, in other words, their own power, their own influence and their own authority, consistently lie and gaslight the world into believing they had nothing to do with it, this was human, this this nature acting, and it's a lie, as far as I'm concerned. Now, maybe some of your listeners will disagree, but the point I'm making is when officials of any stripe and with any level of power decide to deceive us, horrible things happen. Now, I'm not saying that a politician is responsible for the worldwide COVID epidemic, but I'm trying to bring out the point that when judges and lawyers in this particular situation make an effort, whether it's conscious or unconscious, whether it's intentional or not, when they act to deceive us by promising us something that they do not intend to deliver by telling us things that are simply not true by setting up expectations that some good will come from their actions and then deceiving us the damage that's done to a a public that's willing to believe, at least to a point, its public figures is enormous. It isn't just about the one ward. It isn't just about the family. It's about the larger issue of how do we want to have our American ethos protected? How do we want our country to be run? How do we want to live in this country. And I think that's really what I wanted to get to today, looking at the crucible, the microcosm, if you will, of probate guardianship. Because it's these guardianships or conservatorships, they removed the 14th Amendment protected civil rights as provided by the US Constitution. And these local jurisdictions should never have been granted this right without federal oversight. And there's no oversight. No one's overseeing these guardians. Well, you know, that's not the story that you'll get from the powers that be at the real root of power in the United States. You would think that's the legislature, the the executive office. It's not. In this country, the American Bar and its affiliates in all 50 states run this country. No law is passed unless it's blessed by the Bar. If a law is passed that is not blessed by the Bar, you can be sure it will not be enforced. This country, and we might as well just fess up to it, we elect public officials, but nobody elects lawyers. And nobody, And though we do elect judges who are members of the bar, the, the real issue here is where is the allegiance of the, elected, of the elected judges? Is it to themselves, to the bar, or to the state, or to the country at large? And I mm-hmm. think that's a legitimate question to ask because the influence and power of the bar associations across the country is unquestionably the most powerful political force in America. Mm -hmm. And what they say goes. So when when people say there are checks and balance, (coughs) excuse me, that's my post-COVID cough. Oh, no. Thank you, NIH. Um, Um, When people say there are checks and balances within the guardianship system, I would challenge that statement by saying there are very few or perhaps even no checks and balances. 
because even in a state like Florida, where I live, where there have been just every year tons and tons of suggested legislation to tighten up supervision of guardianship, the fact is that even here in Florida, when there is a complaint about guardianship and the, the mechanism of the investigative and administrative agencies go into high gear, only a judge, despite anything he's heard or been told, only the judge that appointed that guardian in the first place, that initial mistake, only that judge can dismiss the guardian. And that just doesn't happen often enough. We have mm -hmm. cases going on right here in Florida and in other states like Ohio, where guardians have committed heinous atrocities. Um, and it, it only takes, it can only be that the press, if and when they ever get motivated, when all of these atrocities are finally revealed in their totality, that the judges are even motivated to think about dismissing a guardian. Um, and so I would argue that the checks and balances may or may not be present, but they are ineffectual because the system is designed to be run by one individual in any single court. And that's the administrative elected probate judge. And all these problems can flow back to that point of origin. The, the biggest issues here are not so much with the guardians, and I've spoken enough about them, or with the lawyers, and I've spoken plenty about them. It's the judges. It's always been the judges, and they're untouchable. So the idea that there are checks and balances in guardianship, I think, is, is a mistaken idea. <laughs> you also made a point about legislatures and, and the federal versus state uh, discussion that's been going on since before this country was founded. Um, the quirks in the law make guardianship, which has to do with inheritance, mm -hmm. which is specifically carved out in the authority of the federal government. All matters of inheritance are decided in, in state courts. That's just the way it is. The trouble is that if you talk to people who are familiar with the judicial system, they'll tell you that state courts are extremely uh, suspect. I, I'm not going to use the word corrupt, but of all the courts, they are the ones that are suspect of political influence uh, and, and all kinds of shenanigans that we as consumers of justice, that's what we are, we're consumers, um, really look at and say, really, that's how this works? And, and so we come to this point where I think we've discussed the, the ins and outs and the details of how the ward is just pummeled when it's the ward who needs help by definition in a guardianship. But if we <clears throat> rise up higher to the 30,000 foot level, we can see the ripple effects of these abusive guardianships for generations. And, and just to, to make that point, uh, to put a sharp tip on that point, um, consider the situation of a family that's been involved in a guardianship for years. And the really horrible ones can go on for more than a decade. Mm -hmm. um, and I've certainly seen my share of those. And j just to put perspective on that statement, um, over the past 10 or 12 years, I have been involved personally. Uh, at one level or another, it, it might not have been anything more than listening to a, a poor individual in guardianship just spill out their guts and spill out their heart to me. But I've been involved at one level or another in well over 1,500 guardianships, mm -hmm. 1,500 across the country, and maybe more, but I lost track a long time ago. And each one of those telephone calls or interviews that I've had with victims of abusive guardianship, 
has a very familiar string in it. It's why did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. And why is this such a horrible thing for my family, for my children, for mm -hmm. my grandchildren? Mm -hmm. And um, when I hear these stories, I keep on asking myself, if this is so common that I've seen so many of these cases that are all nearly identical with the guardianship playbook that we've discussed on, on this uh, podcast before, why is it that the public in general just has no idea? Even today, even pub after publishing my book and the website and the newsletter and all that stuff for years and years and years, I still get calls from people who said, I never heard of anything like this before. How can this be? And what that shows is that this system is very, very slick and clever. Mm -hmm. You never know that your family is going to be entangled in one of these until it's too late. Mm -hmm. And that's because of the secrecy that emanates from these courts. While, they, while the judges <clears throat> and lawyers say it's important to keep the identity and the information about the ward a secret, and they do, they can't seem to reconcile keeping the ward's name a secret but taking everything the ward has without telling anybody. Mm -hmm. The ward had no idea any of this was coming. And the patsy, and I think I've mentioned this in the last podcast, the patsy, who's usually the one who spent a lot of time and effort and money taking care of a loved one, is the one who gets blamed for everything. That's why they're a patsy. And yet these patsies, these wonderful brilliant, fabulous, giving, charitable Americans who would do anything for their loved one are the ones who are abused almost as much as the potential ward. Mm -hmm. The abuse doesn't stop there. The abuse goes intergenerational and it works like this. When your parent is taken into an abusive guardianship, and usually that means that the parent is worth more than half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. Because let's remember, this is just about money. Mm -hmm. the, the, the system doesn't really provide anything of value that couldn't be provided without it. Um, the immediate response of the loving family member is to go out and hire a lawyer. Mm -hmm. You have to have a lawyer because automatically the guardian has a lawyer, it's the law. So you go out looking for a lawyer and anybody who's ever tried to find a good lawyer will understand that it is not simple mm -hmm. because there are in, in Florida, there's 120 or 125,000 lawyers and each one of them is different from the other. Some practice in this area, some in others. But the number of probate litigators, even in a big state like Florida, is very small, relatively speaking. And they are a fraternity. They all know each other. The judges all know them. They work together in court all the time. But if you want to hire one of the top echelon probate litigators, you have a problem. Because if they don't want to take your case, they have a genius excuse for avoiding you like the plague. And that is that they have a conflict of interest. And what that means is mm -hmm. that the influential, big time, hard hitting, effective, winning lawyers all take jobs from one another's firms, even if it's like a traffic ticket. Mm -hmm. So that when Mr. or Mrs. Victim, the, the uh, individual whom I'm referring to as a patsy comes to them and says, you know, <clears throat> we have a guardianship problem and lawyer A is the counsel for the guardian. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, ma'am, I've done work for lawyer A's firm, so I can't work for you. And each one of these, I would say hundred in the state of Florida at least, 
hundred or so uh, probate litigators all have done that with one another. As a result, the loving family member, the patsy, is forced to choose from the second or third or fourth tier of lawyers. And they typically wind up hiring a family lawyer, somebody who you know, might have written their will or defended a traffic ticket or whatever. And they are made into mincemeat in these courts because they don't know the ins and outs of the guardianship scam. They don't know the judges. And I'll never forget in a personal experience when I went to hire a lawyer in the case we were involved in years ago, which is still going on now, 12 years later, there's a court date next week, which I find amazing. Um, the lawyer that that we hired ultimately the first the first one we hired said i'm going to be a great lawyer for you because the judge likes me mm -hmm. and i'm sure your listeners may have heard something like that before and the first thing i said was what difference does that make why why should i care whether the judge likes you or not and he said you'll find out and, and i had no idea what he was talking about until it started and it was clear to me that the judge did not like him as well as he liked the big time hotshot, well-known probate litigator that was opposing him. So that's the first area where, you know, a rational person will say, this doesn't sound right to me. And it doesn't because it's not. Um, judges are human beings too, and they, have preferences. If you've worked with somebody for 25 years and gotten along with them, why, why wouldn't you favor their point of view? Mm -hmm. Anyhow, that's one of the first issues that go into the cake mix of baking a guardianship. The second to happen over time is the incredible amount of time and effort and money that it takes to be involved in fighting a guardianship. If you aren't a meticulous record keeper, if you don't have a lot of money, if you don't have incredible amounts of time to dedicate, you cannot do this. And that's where another deception comes in. That is equal justice under the law. It isn't. It never was, and it probably never will be. Um, when, uh, when an individual who happens to be fighting a guardianship um, enters the court, they are entering into a world that doesn't resemble their own. It is, they talk a different language. They have rules that you'll never know about. They have procedures that don't seem normal, and they take forever. When, mm -hmm. we, when we go to hearings, uh, whether it's somebody else's case or the case that we were involved in, it's amazing how judges schedule a 15-minute hearing, a 30-minute, 60-whatever, and 99% of it is preening by the lawyers. Preening. Oh, Your Honor, uh, Jones versus Smith in 1942 ruled in the, and it has nothing to do with anything. This is just the game that's being played. And the other game that gets played here is if you protest, you get fined. It costs you money to say no, not just to pay the lawyers, but if you speak up, you're dead in the water. It's going to cost you a lot of money in fines. And of course, you will immediately, as the patsy, be named as the bad guy. Mm -hmm. You will always be the evildoer. You'll be the one who, because you dressed your mother's wound, caused the infection. Mm -hmm. That's the crazy logic in the bizarro world of the probate court. So that's the second level. But at a much higher level, the agony that these families go through, the time that is taken away from their family life, the mental anguish that, that these poor patsies go through, 
Whereas the other side sleeps really well. Mm -hmm. You're always in a state of wondering what's going to happen next. They know what's going to happen next. You're wondering if you'll ever succeed. They know you won't. They're always wondering, how am I going to afford to keep my job or my kids? How am I going to afford to send my kids to college when I'm paying fifty to a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year for a, su a succession of lawyers that never win? because they are not the top tier lawyers. And even if you are fortunate enough to get a top litigator, there is no reason statistically uh, from our information to think that he's actually working on your side mm -hmm. because he may have other issues that he has to deal with. He may owe a favor to a colleague. And so he might not be as aggressive as he normally is. But one thing is for sure, the Patsy and their family pay an enormous price for trying to keep a loved one out of a guardianship or try to get them out. Both of them are near impossibilities. And that's where the next level comes up. Our country is based on Judeo-Christian ethics. Unfortunately, the court doesn't recognize them. Unfortunately, the court especially the probate court, is an equity court. And we hear the word equity a lot lately when it comes to race relations, you know, and people saying we're a systemically racist society and that people like me who have light skin are all racists. Mm -hmm. I reject all of that. I think that's utter nonsense and that's a discussion for another time. <clears throat> but in probate court, in probate court, there's only one person who decides whether you're good or bad or indifferent, and that's the judge, based on almost no information. And once that decision is made, <clears throat> you will be the loser in this case. That's why you are the patsy. But when in our country did we want one person to hold the fate of another person in their hands without a jury? Mm -hmm. Now, all of the people who are listening to this podcast, not all, uh, but nearly all of them, believe that we have a system of justice in this country that has checks and balances. And one of the greatest checks and balances is the jury system, a jury of our peers, 11 people who are kind of like us, maybe a little different here, but are reasonable people and can help a judge determine what justice looks like. Your listeners probably don't understand that juries are, are impossible. They are not allowed in probate equity court. Well, right away, you begin to ask questions. Why not? Why? You know, you can ask for a jury trial, by the way, in equity court. You can, but they're never allowed. Never. And if they ever are allowed, it will be for the benefit of the court, not the individual in question. <clears throat> so that takes you to a different level. That takes you to the constitutional level where, you know, well, what's really going on here? And until the Patsy and their family, and it takes a long time to reach this, because mm -hmm. most of us are simple people when it comes to the law. If we have a legal problem, we hire a lawyer and they expect to do what they do, you know? Mm -hmm. But it takes a long time for the naive Patsy and their family to understand that this is a rigged game. Years ago, Barack Obama said, we cannot allow the country to think that our system is rigged. And when he said that, it must have been 12 years ago, something like that. I said, wait a minute, why would anybody say that? Because the first thing you're going to think is, well, maybe it is a rigged game. And I'm here, unfortunately, to bear witness to the fact that in abusive guardianships, it is a rigged game. And if that game is rigged, where we're talking about life, we're talking about families, we're talking about assets, we're talking about spirituality, we're talking about the basics of human kindness, then what else is rigged? Mm -hmm. What else is rigged? And that's the question I hear a lot from people who say the following, 
Dr. Sugar, how can this happen in America? I hear that all the time and I've heard it for years and years. And it's a legitimate question because it does happen in America and it happens for specific reasons. And that is power and money. And if you want to know what the national ethos of the United States is today, it's power and money. I hate to say that because I am a patriot. I love this country with all my heart. I want this country to be as great as it can possibly be. I want it to be kind. I want it to be forgiving. I want it to be an understanding place where people can enjoy and strive for the American dream. Somehow we've lost that. Mm -hmm. And in the world of the Patsy, that sudden understanding that the system is rigged has profound effects. If you're the adult child of a ward, the chances are you're 40 or 50 or older because we're talking about your parents, who, you know, usually 20 to 30 years older than you are. You've been through, you've been around the block a few times, you paid your taxes, you're a good citizen. I mean, you're not a criminal, but all of a sudden you've been criminalized. You're the evildoer. You're the source of all the problems. You're the one who started the conflict when none of it is true. Think about the child of the Patsy. Mm -hmm. Now that child could be any age, really under 50, I imagine. What's the impact of guardianship on the third generation? Well, mm -hmm. The first thing that that third generation child will see is they don't see much of their mom or dad anymore because they're always filing papers, always on the internet looking for information. They're always in conferences or hearings or whatever, or desperately trying to see their parent. So that's the first thing that they'll notice. Mom and dad aren't what they used to be. I mean, they're, they're not interested in me as much as they were before. Maybe they don't love me anymore. Maybe they love grandma more than they love me. And they're not coming to my after-school activities and they're not helping me with my homework. They don't care about me anymore. And this is not some imaginary scenario I'm making up. I've heard it from the horse's mouth. But then take another step up from there. If the, if the third generation child planned to go to college mm -hmm. with the money that was supposed to come down from as an inheritance from the parents, and inheritance is not a dirty word. I mean, mm -hmm. all of us want our money to go where we want it to go. But when that money is diverted to, into the hands of the probate lawyers, there is no money to go to Stanford, Harvard, even if they could. There's no money to go to a state school. There's no money, period. Mm -hmm. So that young person is denied all of the incredible benefits of a first-rate education. They may be denied the ability to even go to a commuter college because the parents can't afford a car for them. Mm -hmm. All of these changes come down in a tidal wave that you simply can't escape. And that, that second and third, third hand abuse is handed down from generation to generation in our biology. There is really strong evidence to show that it's not just our DNA that makes us who we are. It's our experiences in epigenetics, which is more in the medical field. But epigenetics has proven that life experience in one generation has a significant impact on life experience in the next and next generation. It's a fascinating study. It's called epigenetics. Your, your listeners can look it up. And so what we've done now in this little discussion, which I've 
monopolized. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I have a lot to say. Um, what we've what we've revealed in this discussion is that the abuse of one individual by the ruling elite class, because that's mm -hmm. what this is, just exactly the way it was in the 1600s in England, in the uh, courts of equity, in the chancery courts, and in the star chambers, which is what they called the courts then, because the ceiling of the, of the courtroom was painted with stars. But in these star chambers, everything was rigged. Everything, and that's why they're called star chambers. Uh, in these modern star chambers, America is abused. Our countries, the fabric of our country is unraveled because we are deceived by the ruling elite whose interest is power and money. And I shouldn't even say it that way, power and the money necessary to keep it, which is why these folks are always raising, you know, political funds. The damage that they cause to the fabric of American society isn't obvious initially, but over time, the fabric of our country gets unwoven, it's ripped. And the impact of that may be part of what we see in American life today. The violence, the disrespect for the law, which in some cases is well-deserved, the impact on us as individuals, on our communities and our countries is extremely corrosive. And that's the real problem here. Okay, you, a ward gets screwed over and they take all their money and they kill her. Okay, well, that's terrible, but multiply that. Mm -hmm. over all the ones in one state and then in 50 states and actually in many places around the world that use this system it is a huge problem that nobody really knows about that's the reason i'm talking with you today that's the reason i wrote my book that's the reason i do these kind of discussions just to let people know the danger they potentially face if they become victimized by this system Mm -hmm. And it seems you know, there's no judicial district has an accurate audited or defendable accounting of the assets or expenses under these guardianships that, you know, these guardians have like, you know, say 30 wards and how much money are these guardians making a month? Wow, that's no accident. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's called covering your tracks. Um, I, I think, uh, frankly, that the judges uh, have this bizarre idea that it's their job to provide employment for the lawyers who practice in front of them. In fact, I've actually heard that said by one judge. Um, the fact that there's zero statistics, the fact that in Florida, just very recently, um, in the legislature, um, a bill was passed to create a database, which is, ooh, we're going to know how many guardianships there are. That's going to help. Well, yeah, it, it may. It's a good first step. But at the last instant, the bar sent one of its lieutenants into a subcommittee and said, okay, 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 you can have the money to, for your little database but we're not gonna let anybody see it but the judge. Mm -hmm. And, and when, I, when I heard this, I, I just said, I knew something like that, but that's so bold. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't they even realize how outrageous this all is? And the answer is, of course they realize it, but the bar is not accountable to anybody. You don't elect mm -hmm. people to the bar. And um, once a judge is in power, and elected and usually re-elected without opposition. I mean, it's their fiefdom. They know it. It's obvious. They can do whatever they want to do and they can justify it however they want to justify it. So yeah, there are no statistics. There is no information. The money flow is massive and it's all one way. <laughs> it's all out of the estate of the ward. Um, 
because whatever they have, whatever the, the guardians find in awards assets is automatically transferred to a non-interest bearing account, uh, what they call an IOLTA account. Who gets the interest on the IOLTA accounts? From It's called for interest only lawyers trust account, something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know who gets the interest from the IOLTA accounts? The bar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just hilarious. But nobody knows anything about this. The system is, uh, is secret and closed. And again, I'll say it again. My goal over all of these years, I, I'm not going to change this system. You won't change it. No one person or, or, or even no organization has the, the power to make these enormous changes in our system of justice, which has been going on for a very, very long, at least since 1939. Um, but I think the, Albert Einstein said it once, those who know have the duty to tell. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you see something, say something to make mm -hmm. a crazy comparison. But um, my goal and the goal of other individuals who are in this fight, uh, some of them just marvelous people, some of them just doggedly determined to, to do whatever is humanly possible to stop this abuse. Um, this needs to be public information. Mm -hmm. People need to know what America in 2022 is really like. It's still the greatest country on earth. It's still the best place to live in the world. I hope it stays that way. Although I have my doubts, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but they need to understand that in this situation, where an elderly person is in the midst of uh, family dysfunction. Mm -hmm. This is a real risk and it's a risk you don't want to take, which is why I tell people this is what will happen. And there are only a few things you can do to stop it. And the first is settle your family differences, no matter what it takes, because anything you concede to a sibling or another family member, will be a tiny fraction of mm -hmm. what you will lose mm -hmm. in probate. And it seems like there is, uh, the experts are estimated 300 billion in assets are currently under the control of these guardians. And these guardians are not credit or background check. They're not licensed, not formally trained, I, I know we discussed this before, they have no formal oversight. And these local courts that assign them most often provide guardians with judicial immunity. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better than that. Well, it actually doesn't get any worse than that. Um, yeah. The thing is, um, this system didn't pop up overnight. Um, this has been going on for a very long time in this country. And again, if you read through my website and the book, um, guardians have been a problem in this country for a very, at least 120 years. As I've mentioned, I think before the FBI was actually formed because of the uh, guardianship mess made out of the New York guardians who went to the Oklahoma Osage Indian tribes and murdered them to get all their money at, at a time when they were the richest per capita in per capita individuals in the United States. So it has a long history. It has a history in the slave trade where slaves were traded in probate courts. There is a problem in probate court, not just with guardianship either, but particularly with guardianship, in that equity courts are by their very nature fiefdoms. They rely on the opinion of one court. And if for your listeners who don't know, equity courts in this country don't really exist. They were blended into the civil court system back in 1939 in the Supreme Court. But equity courts, but, but they function in family, divorce, and probate court. They function as equity courts without juries, without rules of evidence, without rules of procedure. It's basically... God 
the administrative, elected, politically affiliated judge, who usually is at the bottom of the ballot and nobody knows who the hell they are. And when they get elected, they're basically elected until they choose not to be. Mm -hmm. And they can't be challenged. They can't be sued. They can't be, they can't be anything. They're God in their little fiefdom. And, and I suppose there, there's a reason or two why that should continue. But in this modern day and age, um, it just doesn't seem reasonable to have courts like that anymore. And yet, the amount of money that, that courses through those three equity type courts is staggering. It's not in the billions, it's in the trillions. Especially when you consider the federal programs that support the actions of uh, family court and divorce court. And that's a whole different topic, but it's equally as bad as what happens in probate guardianship court, because in family and divorce court, as opposed to probate where we destroy old people, mm -hmm. in family and divorce court, we destroy young couples and children. Mm -hmm. And when I say destroy, I'm not being cute. We kill them, maybe mm -hmm. not physically, but we, we make them have a life of dependency on the government. We destroy working men, very anti-man uh, courts. And it's off topic, but it would pay for people to understand what happens before they get married and before they have children. They really ought to look into what happens if something goes wrong and their marriage has to fall apart mm -hmm. because it is an un mitigated disaster mm -hmm. and only one group of people wins that's the lawyers mm -hmm. but that's a little off topic it is however one of the uh, probate is one of the three existing probate uh, equity type courts in america and you know it, it dawns on me your listeners may think i'm a lawyer i'm not i <laughs> happen to be a physician but I'm just another person when it comes to the law. I had to learn all this on the fly. Mm -hmm. And I remember 10 or 12 years ago, I was up every night till four in the morning, scouring the internet to find out how does this crazy system work? Because no one in the system will tell you. Mm -hmm. No one in the system is willing to reveal how the system really works. And the lawyer that you hire typically will tell you, oh, don't, don't worry about that. I, I, the, uh, the judge likes me. I know how to do this. And just shut up and sit down. And typically, that is absolutely the worst advice that you can have in probate guardianship court. You cannot be silent. You have to risk being labeled uh, in contempt of court uh, because you never get a chance to express yourself. And if your lawyer isn't on top of his game, and they are not, because the only way a lawyer gets rich is to have a ton of cases, which means he can't spend enough time on yours. You'll often see lawyers waiting for their case in probate court on the phone saying, what did, what did that last hearing result? I, I don't remember. Refresh my memory. They're talking to their paralegals. Mm. And they're coming into court totally unprepared because they know it really doesn't matter. This is all rigged. The decisions are made way ahead of time. And if not, they're made in private, in ex parte meetings, which typically should be illegal unless both parties are represented. But I, I've been aware of so many times ex parte happens for one side only. Mm -hmm. And that one side just happens to be the elite lawyer. Mm -hmm. not the third or second degree tier lawyer that the, that the, uh, that the individual patsy hires. Mm -hmm. So it's a bad system. Okay. It's a terrible system. So what do we do about it? People ask me that all the time. I said, I have no idea. I, honest to God, I have no idea. I thought when I started this campaign, this struggle, this, whatever it is, I could get laws changed. You know what? I did. You know how much difference it's made? Zero. I thought I could raise public awareness. I did. You know how much difference it's made? Zero.
Mm -hmm. I thought I could help individuals by referring them to the best lawyers, by educating them. It doesn't work because the system is pervasive, all-encompassing, and all-powerful. And it will be up to the next generation or two to figure out how to fix this mess that destroys Americans rather than helping them in their time of need. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I came across this article written June 4th, 2018 in Rolling Stone, where John Oliver explained how legal guardians abuse their power. And, um, you know, he opened with this exhaustive segment with some startling statistics. There are currently 49.2 million Americans aged 65 or older, and that figure is expected to surge in what some experts have dubbed the silver tsunami. As ages rise, so does the need for guardianship, and 1.3 million people currently require such services. And these, these guardians can bill for each individual service they provide from leaving voice messages to opening the mail, and they can take payment directly out of the ward's estate. Exploring how the system often leads to absurd charges that can cripple a person's finances. An egregious example was, say, a guardian charged a woman for Phoenix Suns basketball tickets, tacking on $228 for determining the game's effect on her mood. Another billed for 100 hours of service in a single day. Now, a mathematic impossibility that Oliver anchored home was with a science joke. 100 hours a day is not physically possible unless she was working on the planet Mercury, whereas we all know each day lasts 1,407 Earth hours. I'll be honest, that's a joke designed specifically for Neil deGrasse Tyson. So I do hope you enjoy it, Dr. Tyson, because absolutely nobody else did. Well, you know, John Oliver did a, uh, a segment a piece on guardianship a couple of years back. And I remember Bill Shatner was in it uh, where he actually made fun of the system. I, it's amazing mm -hmm. that you can make fun of it, but he did actually a very good job. And there was a, a blip up in interest in the guardianship abuse uh, issue for a week or so. But the problem with all of these stories uh, is that they don't have legs. Uh, reporters have to report news and mm -hmm. guardianship abuse is rarely news. And when it is news, it's big news. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the, the media and the people who run the media are, are really not interested in, in running these stories. And I'll give you a personal example. Nine years ago, two producers from CBS News 60 Minutes spent six hours in my house at my request. Um, at the same time, we, my wife and I were on the cover of, the, uh, of a very large newspaper in Miami about this issue. Um, and they left my house with a box full of documents and uh, all the information necessary that they wanted to run a story um, about this issue. A couple of months went by and uh, nothing happened. I, on the third month, I called the two producers, one of them who's still at 60 Minutes, actually. And I said, what's going on with this? Why is this taking so long? He says, oh, oh, Dr. Sugar, I hate to tell you this, but the story's been killed. Mm -hmm. And I said, really? But you were so gung-ho. I said, yeah, well, I am still gung-ho, but our lawyers forbid us to do this because if we start sniping at judges, we'll get sued. Mm -hmm. mm. And you're talking about CBS media being mm -hmm. concerned about judges in probate court. So, you know, that's the way of the world. Um, but I think it's important for your listeners to understand that they could be next. Mm -hmm. If you have a loved one who has assets, and you somehow, family dysfunction, a business disagreement, you name it. Or, or just if your mom or dad gets really sick and you need help. The most tragic cases that I've seen are the loving 
Patsy, who brings on the guardianship because they can't handle it anymore. They can't handle the costs. They can't handle the, the amount of care and they're looking for help. Mm. And the next thing they know, they're involved in one of these horrible, horrible situations. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently 12 states require professional guardians to be certified at all. So these people are just running rampant. So anyone can become a guardian and just snatch somebody quickly well i have to argue that just a little bit and although it's technically true even in the state of florida which is supposed to be you know really advanced just about anybody who hasn't committed a felony and graduated high school can is potentially a guardian but i have to add this caveat you can't become a big league guardian you can't become an elite guardian. You can't become a big time professional guardian unless you are a favorite of the person who gives out the guardianships, which means you have to curry favor with a judge. And some guardians over the history in Florida have curried favored with multiple judges. Rebecca Fearley, the notorious apex predator guardian in Florida, who has yet to stand trial for the, um, for the death of Stephen Stryker, which happened years and years ago. Um, she became inured into the guardianship courts in five or six different judicial districts in Florida. She had guardianships all over the state because she became the go-to person. And when you're the go-to person, you can do no wrong. Because let's be frank, the real issue for the judge is clearing his docket. Mm -hmm. Judges are overworked. I grant that. And so their primary motivation is not necessarily the best idea or the smartest way to handle a problem, but the quickest way to handle a problem because they hate these cases that go on and on and on and on. So they find somebody like Rebecca Fearley or one of her two or three disciples who are now under investigation too. And they say, you know what, Rebecca, you've done this before. I trust you. You do this. Mm -hmm. And it isn't until years later when an invest, a private investigator uh, who became involved with our organization, Angela Woodhall, did an exhaustive review of all of her guardianships that showed the enormous amount of abuse that she was creating. The, I don't even know how many millions uh, Angela might be able to tell you but incredible amounts of money that just simply disappeared. Um, it is a broken system and it needs to be killed. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line for me. I have no belief whatsoever that the guardianship system, uh, the probate guardianship system in America can be fixed. It cannot, it can never be fixed. It needs to be replaced with something better. I don't know what that is. I doubt anybody does at this moment, but the next generation will have to figure that out because it cannot stand the way it is. I agree, I agree. Uh, you know, and a lot of these guardianships are brought on by CPS too. They also need to go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, every time we get into the weeds and the discussion of these equity court issues, you begin to realize how many governmental agencies have their finger in the pie. Mm -hmm. CPS and APS, all of these protective agencies, which get money from state and federal government, are designed to help and protect. And I imagine in many cases they do. Again, not all CPS cases are horrible, but the exceptions make the rule look really weird. I mean, we need to help each other. We, none of us can get by in this country by ourselves. And the courts need to understand that what they are doing is destroying our country. Mm -hmm. People have lost faith in the courts. And the courts only are legitimate when the public has faith in them. 
I personally do not have faith in the courts, whether it's mm -hmm. probate or otherwise. I think they are too prone to shenanigans and influence and money and corruption. Mm -hmm. So on a very high level, which is where we started this discussion, can America trust its courts? Because if we can't, we're dead. Because the courts are the courts of last resort. When, when issues can't be resolved among people, you need judges, you need honest judges, you need a system that's constitutional, you need predictability within the courts. And the problem with the probate and other equity type courts is that they are absolutely, completely unpredictable. Mm -hmm. You never know what's going to happen. And that only happens when there is corruption. That mm -hmm. only can be when the law says A, B, and C, and the judges decide C, D, and E, you must ask yourself the question, why? Why? There can only be one reason. And my mama told me, whenever you can't figure it out, just follow the money. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody's saying. Mm -hmm. Well, in politics, and this is politics, let's be honest, money is king. And when that happens, especially in a capitalistic society, and when there is corrosion at the top, and there certainly is, and when there's corrosion and corruption all the way through the system, all the way to the level of the guardian, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. We're in trouble. It isn't just about a guardianship or a state in guardianship. It is us. And we've got to realize that we have the power as the populace of this country. We have the power to change things, but we've mm -hmm. got to get off our butts and vote the right way and change the country back to what we want it to be. We cannot exist much longer with this degree of overt corruption in our government. Mm -hmm. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be that you could depend on the courts, that you wanted a judge to make a decision, that you needed an independent arbiter to see the truth and, and make a decision that, that works for everyone and works for the country. But when you have situations like corrupt guardianship, when you have, when you have a Congress, nah, I'm not going to get into that. I don't want to do that. Not today. Next um, podcast. Next yeah. podcast. <laughs> I think I'm, I've reached the limit of my expertise and knowledge and authority. But I think the message is clear. We have a problem. And it could be you next. And you need to learn about this system to avoid it. You need to know what your rights are. You need to know how to protect yourself and your entire family. Because the consequences of being naive are a catastrophic disaster. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a good way to stop. <laughs> yeah. And on that note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about something else equally important. <laughs> well, I still would like to have you come back on. I'm, I'm here for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, Maybe we could talk about something less drastic next time. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can talk about sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The influence of guardianship on sports. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's all political, too. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Marianne. And, <laughs> Definitely. And for your listeners, um, I would end just by saying this doesn't have to happen to you. It just mm -hmm. doesn't. I'm going to assume that your listeners are good citizens and good they're good parents and good children of good parents. And you need to know that there is corruption in the world. There is evil in the world, as well as a lot of good. And, and, and let's just say again, I'm sure there are terrific lawyers and guardians and judges who work in this system. Mm. But the system is too unpredictable to think that you're going to get a good one. Mm -hmm. And so my advice to your listeners is open your eyes, do some research, 
understand your risk. And if you have an elderly parent who has some money, your risk is very, very high. Because all they need to do is wind up in a hospital or emergency room and the game starts. Right. <clears throat> so you are at risk, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. There are things you can do to minimize or at least reduce those risks. And once, God forbid, this happens to your family, you need to know where to look for help. Mm-hmm. And that, I think those are the, the best things that I can tell your dear listeners. And I appreciate the, the opportunity to address them. Definitely. And we will be talking again. <laughs> well, okay. I'll, I'll be happy to. Maybe okay. there'll be some good news next time. Yes. There's always hope. That's right. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Dr. Sam Sugar in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you again, Dr. Sam. My pleasure. <laughs>